Fan Morning Show. Brent Gunning, Ailish Forfar. I'm here with you for the rest of the week. Justin back on Monday. Very, very happy to welcome in our first guest of the day on the 32 Thoughts podcast, Jeff Merrick. Jeff, how are you doing today? Brent, how you doing? Ailish, good morning. How hey. is everyone today? Fired up, fired up. Uh, we're we're almost oh, yeah? at the, uh, yeah, we're almost opening day is tomorrow. We've got a playoff push in the NHL. Ooh. Plenty, plenty Great. to like. Uh, so I'm going to start with a quasi-local story for you. Leafs and Lightning okay. have been deadlocked for, I don't know, since the end of last season to play each other in the playoffs. What's up yep. with Tampa? Are they playing possum? <laughs> Is this a team that just knows exactly what to do? Is Victor Hedman all right? And does it all matter if Andre Vasilevsky shows up in the first round? Uh, these are all very rich questions. First of all, um, I've always maintained it's the fool that bets against the Tampa Bay yeah. Lightning. I don't know about you. I don't know about you too, but I've been burned way too many times saying they're done. They're cooked. They've played too much hockey. Uh, they hate John Cooper. This is finished. They're over. They're done. Uh, time to turn the page. I've been, you know, they've gone too deep in the playoffs, Stanley Cup hangover, they can't crank it back. I've been burned way too many times gambling against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, I think one of these days I'm going to be right, um, and many of us who have predicted their, their, their demise will be right one day. I just don't know when that day is. Um, every year when a team wins the Stanley Cup we all know they have to shed contracts and shed players that's just the reality of the salary cap and you know rewarding good players at a, at a certain point that is going to catch up to the Tampa Bay Lightning um, is it going to be this season perhaps I mean Ryan McDonough gone Jan Ruda gone and maybe the most important Andre Palat now no longer wanted on the voyage because they couldn't fit him under the salary cap um, so one of these years Brent I'm going to be right <laughs> One of these years, anyone who says that, you know, Tampa Tampa is done, their day in the sun is over, it's the shady side of the mountain now, eventually we're going to be done. I've just been burned too many times that I'm not going to predict when that's going to be. I know it makes for bad sports talk radio, and I get that. But but even, like, even in the season, and right now, like, you're right. Like, Tampa's kind of playing 50-50 hockey. Although, listen, if you watch that game on Saturday afternoon with uh, with Tampa and the Boston Bruins, that, that might have been. Wasn't it, though? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it might have been the first playoff-style game that we've seen so far. Now we're, you know, uh, three weeks out of the Stanley Cup playoffs opening round, which is always banana sandwich. Um, and we saw in that game a couple of things. Fights right off the start. Um, everybody finishing their checks. Uh, Hedman scoring and Bergeron scoring. But after that, you know, uh, top players sort of neutralized one another and it became all about who, you know, whose bottom six was going to emerge uh, and win this game. And it ended up being, you know, Garnet Hathaway and, and the Boston Bruins bottom six that ended up winning the game. That one had very much a playoff feel was probably the first playoff style game that we've seen and for my money despite the fact that Tampa may have lost that was that look at that was that look inside of what Tampa is going to be like to play in the playoffs and that is absolutely frightening um, Tampa did look real good last night against the Carolina Hurricanes blanking Peter Kachetkov um, and the crew so a long-winded way of saying one day they're going to you know start to one day they're going to be on the back nine and they're going to get close to seeing the clubhouse i just 
don't know that we're there yet because I've been burned too many times predicting it. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm there with you. I have been leaning towards the Leafs in that series, but that and then you throw in Vasilevsky into the mix. And it's, Vasilevsky, it's, man. It's really, really hard to bet against them. Um, the, uh, you, you mentioned a team that's kind of on the back nine there. Uh, that's the Penguins right now. You know, we talk a lot about Crosby and how many things are so yeah. impressive from him. He had that awesome backhand goal against the Avs last week. You know, when we think oh, yeah. of his legacy, it's going to be cups. It's going to be the golden goal and all those things. But how big of a part of it is the playoff streak? Not just the fact that they've won as much, but they've always been in the mix. Same thing we said about all those Detroit Red Wings uh, teams and players for the longest time, right? Talking about Datsuk and, and Zetterberg and Nick Lidstrom. Um, that's part of their lore. I'll, I'll tell you, one thing I want to mention about the Pittsburgh Penguins, and it was a tough one last night. The, the score really isn't indicative of the play because there were a couple of empty netters there, and Pittsburgh really had an opportunity. Uh, that was their game in hand against the Florida Panthers to create even more distance between themselves uh, and the Florida Panthers in that chase for the final wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference. So the score really wasn't indicative of, of how the play went, but I don't know that I've seen a team, not just this season, but in this era of of, of NHL hockey, who can look... On the one hand, outstanding, and on the other hand, flat out awful. Like, does it not seem to you about the Pittsburgh Penguins that there is absolutely no middle ground? They are either amazing or brutal. Like, yeah. sometimes you look at them and you say, man, this team could win the Stanley Cup. Mm. Other times you say, what league does this team belong in? Because <laughs> it's certainly not the NHL. Um, so, I, you know, I, I always talk about the bicycle theory. With the Pittsburgh Penguins, and for your listeners that aren't aware, the bicycle theory is as when you're up on the bike, as long as you keep pedaling, you're going to be fine. But if the minute you slow down uh, or stop, you'll fall off. And that's the Pittsburgh Penguins. And as long as they're pedaling, um, they're fine, and they're on top of the bike, and they look good. The problem is if they take – like I don't know that I've seen an elite-level team – who, if they take their foot off the gas even slightly, the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. But that's the Pittsburgh Penguins. Like, I, I, this is going to sound bizarre, and I, I almost don't want to say it because I don't want to embarrass myself, but here I go. If the Pittsburgh Penguins play the way that we've seen them play at times this season, they could beat Boston in the first round. Wow. Like, that is how good the Penguins can look. The problem is... Can they do that for seven games mm -hmm. or for six games in a row? We haven't seen that really this season. And they're sort of middling. Like, it doesn't seem like they want to really grab that final playoff spot here. You know, you just mentioned Tampa. They're kind of, you know, a 500 team right now in their last 10. Ditto for the Pittsburgh Penguins. But to me, if I'm Ron Hextall or Brian Burke or Mike Sullivan, it is so frustrating watching this team, on the one hand, absolute world beaters, and then on the other hand, completely fall apart if they take the foot off the pedal at all. Jeff, how do you feel about the LA Kings? Um, last night, 12-game point streak ended from Calgary, who we yep. didn't really predict was going to happen because Calgary's been all over the place as well. But should we be giving them True. a little bit more credit or attention? I feel like they just quietly dominate on the other side of the uh, continent there. You know, one of the things that we've seen with the Los Angeles Kings, and this goes back to maybe three years ago, I want to say, Ailish, the Los Angeles Kings up until about three, maybe four years ago had been flat out, I'll just be blunt, the slowest team in the NHL. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like Adrian Kempe and everybody else who was slow. 
and Kempe was the only one that really stood out. It was like it was like when Daryl Sutter coached the team, and they were again a really slow team, and Marion Gabrick, who was like this the the one burner that they had. And, you know, under Rob Blake, like very deliberately, the Los Angeles Kings have gone about, you know, repopulating this team. And the mantra seems to be, if you can't skate, you can't play here. Like there is no room for you here. So it wasn't just Adrian Kempe, but it was bringing in, you know, I think one of the initial moves was bringing in Victor Arvidsson. And Kevin Fiala came in uh, uh, from the Minnesota Wild. And Philip Deneau comes in from the Montreal Canadiens. And they're getting, you know, production from some of their, you know, emerging defensemen. I think Michael Anderson is one of the more underrated defensemen in the entire NHL. The Sean Dursey story certainly mm-hmm. Ontario is starting to get um, really well told. Um, you know, goaltending, I still think, is an issue for the Los Angeles Kings. And you hate to see a lot of hard work undone by, by very average goaltending. But I, I do think that... You need to give uh, the Los Angeles Kings a little more credit and a little more love. For for everyone out there who thought that last year's uh, appearance in the playoffs, uh, even though they, they bowed out against the Oilers, they gave them everything that they that they that they wanted uh, and could handle. Like like guys, they almost beat the Oilers last year in the opening round. Mm-hmm. Like, be honest here, hands up you two, who had those feelings about halfway through the series? that Edmonton was going to bow out in the first round, uh, I've got my hand up in the air here. Yep. I think it's a good team. I think it's a fast team. I think it's an exciting team um, to watch. A lot of real dynamic players. And, you know, we're starting to see some more emerging young stars uh, with that team. And it's only a matter of time, really, uh, because we've seen the glimpses that Quinton Byfield um, turns into that next one for the squad. Um, we've seen, I mentioned Anderson, I mentioned Jersey. Like you're starting to see this interesting blend of veterans and kids. My only question about the Kings is, is the goaltending good enough? Can they do this? Can they go deep running a battery of Jonas Corposalo and Phoenix Copley? I'm not sure what the answer is, but I really do just hope that at some point, and it would mean that the Oilers would be out probably, but still, um, I just hope that we see a L.A. Vegas Jonathan Quick series. Oh, we need it at some point. I know, right, Ailish? Like, please, please, hockey gods, give us a give us that gift, uh, a rejuvenated and pissed off Jonathan Quick against his old team. Yeah, I'll take that. Well, that's the thing. I, I look at that, and this feels silly to say with a with a division that has the best player on the planet in it, but it kind of feels like it's going to come down to goaltending just in that little divisional playoff. There, I mean, you you saw what happened with Thompson the other night. He goes down, so it is going to yeah. be Quick there. You mentioned Corpusallo, right. and look at the Oilers, what they've got. I I mean, you know, Jack Campbell, we obviously all know him well here in terms of what he was as a Leaf, but it's not been the year he wants. Stuart Skinner's kind of stabilized things, but, you know, I'm I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm sold on him heading into the playoffs. Like, it does kind of feel like it's all going to come down. Maybe, maybe not all is a little too reductive, but it does feel like maybe a goaltender could just kind of steal that little mini divisional playoff we're going to have. Yeah, you know, I I don't think you're necessarily wrong. The the one thing that I that I always look at around this time, there's there's one stat that I look at. I mean, we're all trying to figure out, okay, like as a predictive model, what's going to give us that soap and warm water feeling about one team uh, against another. Um, I always look at regulation wins at this time of year because you look at the look at the you know, look at the um, look at the standings and take uh, shootout and overtime out of the equation, okay. They don't play three-on-three in overtime. They don't have a shootout in overtime. So take all of those stats and throw them away, and what are you left with? Regulation wins. And I always sort of use that as a a loose guide and say to myself, okay, these are the teams that I'm prepared to, to get behind. So in the Eastern Conference, surprise, surprise, 
the Boston Bruins have 49 regulation wins. Like, that should surprise nobody. Team number two are the Toronto Maple Leafs. So if you take away, you know, three-on-three and take away shootout, the Toronto Maple Leafs outside of the Boston Bruins um, are the top team in the Eastern Conference by way of regulation wins. Top team in the West with 39, the Edmonton Oilers. And I'm with you, Brent. Like, I am always suspicious about, you know, what can happen to a team if you get questionable goaltending, if you get mediocre goaltending. But if there's any team that can compensate, I think, for average to maybe below average goaltending in a series, might just be the Oilers. And sometimes when you look at a series and you say, okay, the top six is going to wash. What's, uh, what do they have going in the bottom six? I don't know that a team that has Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, the two Ferraris in the driveway here, <laughs> um, I don't know that that's going to be a wash for any other team. Like, Connor McDavid is on a different planet this year. Connor McDavid is, you know, Con- this is like Connor McDavid saying, hey, everybody, you want to come watch how, how we play hockey on the planet that I live on? <laughs> because no one else is there. No one, no one else is close. So I, I do agree with what you're saying, and I would have that concern if they didn't have these two freaks in the NHL called Connor and Leon um, and they're getting it done in regulation. Like that to me is always, always the one that I look at regulation wins. And right now top dog in the West, the Edmonton Oilers with 39. Jeff, last one for you this morning. Uh, We saw Jonathan Tave speak with reporters yesterday. First time since uh, returning from the injured reserve with his chronic immune um, issues, um, his injury and, Going through all that, um, he said the following. This could be my last few weeks here in Chicago. Now, like specifically mentioning Chicago in that and not just like in terms of playing hockey in general. What do you think's next for him? Um, it seemed like a really like solemn press conference. He didn't seem very, I mean, I know he's dealing with a lot and this isn't like a happy time in general. But what did you take from just his comments to the media and just like what's going on with Jonathan Taves? Yeah, he's the guy that's watched it all crumble down, like the entire kingdom crumble down around him, and he knows that he's next. And mm. he knows that this is going to be a Blackhawks team that, once Jonathan Taves is done, has completely turned the page from this glory era of the Chicago Blackhawks and the, the three Stanley Cups and, you know, uh, you know that, that Here Comes the Hawks song that uh, NHL fans became acquainted with going back to 1961, the, uh, the last time they won the Cup before, uh, before 2010. Um, I mean, he's been the leader through all of it, right? He was the the leader when they won those three Stanley Cups. He was the the rise to prominence once again uh, of the Chicago Blackhawks, helping to uh, to cement um, uh, one of the top markets in the NHL. Like newer fans might not know this, but like there was a time where the Chicago Blackhawks were kind of the laughing stock of the NHL. There was a time where you know the uh, the late owner wouldn't even put the, uh, the the team's game on television because he would thought he thought that it would hurt the live gate. Uh, this was a team that you know attendance was being rivaled by the American Hockey League Chicago Wolves. Like this was a team that was flat out going nowhere and staying there. Um, and was just a reason and another, you know, part of the uh, the, the Wirtz alcohol empire as a way to help sell booze for the old man. 
Um, Jonathan Davis, Patrick Kane, Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, Nicholas Chalmerson, go right down the list. They changed all of that, and they took this team to great heights, and they reestablished it, and Jonathan Taves' legacy um, in Chicago sports is well cemented, and his legacy when it comes to Hall of Fame voting is well cemented as well, and his reputation internationally is well uh, well cemented. And I just can't help but, you know, I always try to put myself in someone else's place, and I don't know how... Taves feels specifically, but I, I can kind of get a, a, a sense when you hear him talk about the Hawks and talk about Chicago and the fans and the glory years and all of that. And I know it kind of sounds like a Bruce Springsteen song, but still, like it's it's got to be <laughs> it's got to be a terrible feeling mm-hmm. having sat there and watched everything crumble around you and watched everybody leave one by one. Almost as if it's like, you know, Agatha Christie's murder on the Orient Express. Every time the lights go out, another character vanishes. It's got to be what it's like for for Jonathan Taves. So um, we knew this wasn't going to be an easy season on the ice for the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, We knew what was going to happen with Patrick Kane specifically this year and how he was going to end up somewhere else. And it became pretty obvious as the season went on, it was only going to be the Rangers. And and that's where he ended up. And I would have suspected that, you know, had he not had the the health misfortune that befell him this season, Mm -hmm. Jonathan Taves probably would have been... Uh, would have been moved somewhere else. I mean, the romantic story would have been obviously Winnipeg. Um, but I, I think this is a guy that's watched everything crumble around him, and he can't help but feeling, you know, upset about that, or you know, a little bit depressed about the entire thing, um, because he's gone. Like literally, he's gone from the highest of heights, where not only did you win Stanley Cups, but you you rebuilt you rebuilt an entire hockey market. To now, the team is in the conversation for Connor Bedard and the NHL draft lottery. That's got to be t- tough for a, a proud athlete like Jonathan Taves. Yeah, I, think- I, I, I still do think that he wants to play the Orange. Mm. I really mm-hmm. do. All right. Well, we'll see. Hopefully, he gets that opportunity elsewhere. Definitely have a lot of empathy for him and what he's had to go through at least this season, just itself in uh, in a bubble. But uh, his entire career with the Blackhawks kind of, as you said, changing in front of his eyes. It's been tough to see. So, um, The Manitoba story would be fun, though. That's the one thing at the at the end of all oh, of it, the yeah. one last hurrah back in the home province. Manifest, manifest. All right, Jeff, I appreciate you coming this morning. Uh, always great to talk, and we'll get you next week. Awesome. Thanks, you too. Jeff Merrick, host of The Jeff Merrick Show and host of 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Just for the record, the only romantic story I want involving Jonathan Taves is him playing for the Leafs for 800K. Just so, just so we're clear about Not that. Not even 750. I give him that extra 50. Yeah, he deserves it. He yeah, had a yeah. tough go he with health. He could take that 50K. Man, we'll I'm, give it. I'm sad. It was hard. Like I don't know if you saw the press conference, but it was it was tough. Yeah. I mean, he's not gonna be like, hey, I'm pumped yeah. up about like I get it. This place is uh, as crumbling in front of his eyes, but yeah, he said he was really surprised to see Patrick Kane. Uh, go to a different team. I'm like, were you not they listening? They must not talk. <laughs> yeah. Did you not see what was going on for months? But yeah. Uh, you know, poor Taves. All the all athletes are like, oh, I don't pay attention to the press, which is complete bull. I actually would believe it with Jonathan Taves. Mm. Just like, oh, I was just tending to my Zen garden and, and <laughs> thinking and about Wall. winning. Yeah. Joel, no social media. No phone. That just is still... Like- what was it, the, the O'Reilly signals. trade? And he yeah. was like, oh, man, the boys were telling me. He's like, I, I entered into the dressing room with, like, a new lineup sheet. Like, wait, did they make a mistake? What happened? Uh, was, that was probably the best part of this season. And, and not to drag everything back to the Leafs, although mm-hmm. we almost always should, that Joe Wall, I love that about a goalie. They got to have something a little weird. Like Jack Campbell, I know it's not working out well for him now. As soon as I saw him taking his cat for a walk last year, I was like, 
Uh, I want to be clear. I hate that, but I love that for a goalie. So Joe Wall going no social media, just a little, little dark, a little weird. Love it, love it. I certainly love it too. You know what? That's your, you're like, hold me back from getting him as the backup. that's right. There you go. People like that quote. They did. They really liked that gunner. All right. You got radio in a good way. I did. It was a good, it was a good one. Um, All right. It's time for something to chew on brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Yum, Mm. yum, yum. We got a lot we could do here. Um, I want to touch on. Uh, somebody that we put is, I don't know if you, you probably were listening a little while ago, but we had um, our Canadian iconic starting line drafting of female athletes. I know that came out wrong. It was International Women's Day. Okay. And we are trying to pick um, some iconic female athletes from Canada to put in our, um, our team. And I think Justin sniped Summer McIntosh for me. It's a great pick. Yeah. And last night, um, she said a world record in the women's 400 meter style uh, freestyle in the swimming trials in Toronto. She's 16 years old. She finished still. Yeah, 16 years old. She finished. I feel like she was 16 two Olympics no, ago. I know. It feels she like. doesn't age. Must be nice. Three minutes and 56 seconds. Um, the previous soccer was three minutes and 58 seconds. It's set from an Australian last year. So she won two gold, one silver, and a bronze last year at the World Championships. She competed at Tokyo in 2021 as a 14-year-old, finished fourth. It is the summer of summer. It is the the decade of summer McIntosh. She's already, like, it already stapled herself as in the conversation to be the goat of women's swimming. I know Penny Alexiak has that, but this girl is 16 years old and is setting world records and is continuing to do so. If you got an opportunity to see her post-game press, or her, yeah, I guess press conference, really, man, she is just humble. She was moved. Just She was shocked with her own performance. She shouldn't be because she's going to be the future of of swimming, not only, but like just women's professional sports and and what she can do for this country. So Summer McIntosh, Summer of Summer. There we go. I am very happy to hear that. That's awesome. Uh, it's fun. It's always funny when you have someone who bursts onto the scene. And, you know, this isn't an exact comparable because I think both of the women I'm about to mention mm-hmm. have kind of uh, passed the other two I'm about to mention. But, you know, we always had the comparison with Jeannie Bouchard and Bianca. That's of, right. Oh, how good can she be? And with Penny doing everything she did a few summers ago, I think, no pun intended, I think what you end up happening is, oh, okay, it's another one. And I'm not going to pretend to be a swimming, swimming expert. Steve Armitage, I am not. I'm I'm not going to pretend to be a swimming expert here, but if you're already doing this, I think the future is pretty bright and no knock on Penny. She's had a wonderful career. I'm sure is still swimming. will continue to have one, but there might be another special one right behind her that even is more special. A world record. There you go. A world record. She's set a bunch of junior records, but the world is uh, it's a pretty big place to have a record for. So shout out Shum- Summer and uh, keep an eye on what happens next with her because she's taken over the world. Jose Bautista joins us on the other side of the break. We got a chance to talk to him post-show yesterday. Um, he's obviously being elected or added to the level of excellence on August I like 12th. to think of it as an election. I it like is. to think everyone showed up. They cast their ballot. Yeah, <laughs> Get this name up there. Uh, that's in August. He's also getting a pretty sweet bobblehead. We haven't had a chance to take a look at that. It's a bat flip bobblehead. That'll be the lineup, as you mentioned, is already... Started that, uh, yeah. We'll you'll hear from him uh, yeah, about this. Very but yeah, fun. Yeah, it's funny. We do ask him about the poutine hot dog as well. So I know that's a hot topic in the city of Toronto. All right, talk to Jose Bautista on the other side of the break on the Fan Warrior Show with Gunner and Ailish. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the JD Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Back on the Fan Morning Show, it's Brent Gunning and Ailish Forvar this morning. We talked to Jose Bautista yesterday. It's the opening week in the MLB. It's great to talk to some legends. We have another one coming on the show tomorrow, but we're going to not tell you who that is. And this guy might not have ever done Toronto Media. We are really starting something special here. Shout out Daniele. But, you know, we'll tease it. We won't tell you. But it's a familiar face. That's all we'll say. You'll be excited. But we talked to Jose Bautista yesterday. Um, obviously, second most home runs in Blue Jays history. We remember one of them uh, pretty specifically. Um, he's got to have his level of excellence day on August 12th. The first 15,000 fans in attendance will get that limited edition bat flip bobblehead. Um, he's excited about that. He's seen it. I'm like, where? if you're him, like you're putting this on like your mantle. Like, I guess it's just like, hey. I don't know. I don't know what you do with the bobblehead made of yourself. Be... It'd be tough. Do you watch The Office? I do. Love it. When Dwight, Dwight Schrute yeah. gets the little bobblehead and then... Yeah, that's different if you're just like if a regular Dwight person. Schrute, you yeah. put that on your desk. Yeah. I'd like one of those one day. Secret Santa. Okay. Um, we talked to Jose Bautista yesterday, former MLB outfielder, six-time All-Star, three-time Silver Slugger, second-most home runs in Jays history, and the single-season home run record holder. Here's Jose. No, it's obviously a great honor. I'm extremely happy. It's a great recognition, and I'm... Um, where we're going to be enshrined in a, in a level of excellence with, with all the other great names. And, uh, you know, I've known for a while, so it just didn't work out to where we could uh, do it uh, and celebrate on the field with the fans. So, uh, but it's happening this year, and I couldn't be more excited. So not only are you getting the level of excellence accolade, and that's uh, obviously something that not many Blue Jays have and will get in their career, but you're getting a bobblehead. Now that's fun. The fans love bobbleheads down at the Rogers Center. Have you gotten a chance to see the bat flip bobblehead or at least the renderings of what they're going to be giving away? Yeah, that one's pretty cool. I've seen a bunch of uh, pictures of it online, and uh, it came out nice. So I'm excited about it too. Hopefully... Uh, everybody that is in attendance will be able to take one, or I, I don't even know how many they're making, but hopefully the majority of the people that come that day will get one and, and be able to keep it a, as a reminder of that day. I am pretty sure people are lining up right now for that day. <laughs> uh, we love freebies here in Toronto, and people are, uh, are are not shy about lining up for that, and that will be as popular a one as, as we've seen. You know, we're talking about you getting inducted in the level of excellence. We're talking about the bobblehead bat flip. We have to talk about the bat flip in and of itself. I mean, I know you've been asked this question a million times. I'm sure you've talked about it. I'm sure you think about it all the time still, but what was that moment like? I mean, I, I felt 100 feet tall watching it, and I didn't do anything other than sitting on my couch. What was it like for you, and is there anything you can kind of compare it to to let people know just what it felt like in that moment? It was unbelievable. Um, you know, the, the most important thing for me was be able, being able to come through for the team, and I did feel, like you said, like seven feet tall. Uh, just being able to come through for your team in a situation like that was huge, especially after not being in the playoffs for 22 years and move, you know, kind of, putting us in a position that we could uh, most likely move on to the next round, which we did. So uh, that was a great moment. The stadium, I felt like it was coming down. I felt like the earth was shaking. Uh, but most importantly, to be able to create that type of memory uh, for the fans and that moment in the stadium uh, and whoever was tuned in to wherever they were. Uh, I get it all the time. People tell me I was here, I was there, I was at this place. I remember exactly when it happened. So uh, just being able to to be in, in everybody's memory uh, for a long time remembering that game. That's kind of like the biggest prize of all.
Yeah, Rogers Center holds about roughly 50,000 people, and I'm sure there's about 3 million people who claim they were there. So uh, maybe don't believe everyone if they tell you they were there for it, uh, Jose. But, you know, it's kind of funny to think of now because this conversation seems so old, not the bat flip one, but what I'm about to ask you. Do you feel like that moment kind of thawed the idea of home run celebrations? Like we remember Goose Gossage came out and had his problems with it. And that was ridiculous. And, you know, it does feel like that was kind of a tentpole moment in the sport. Not that nobody had ever celebrated before, but it felt like it was such a big moment and there was such a conversation around it. Do you ever think that you kind of helped thaw that a little bit? And, you know, we see it at the WBC all the time and you were part of an incredible team there and at the Olympics of, you know, the more kind of fun style of game that we see in a lot of Latin America and you guys bringing that influence in. Do you ever think to feel that your bat flip kind of helped thaw that a little bit in Major League Baseball? Yeah, I think it played out that way. Not that I set out to do that. Uh, just kind of ended up playing out in, in that fashion. But but sure, and, and that's great, which you know makes the game more accepted and more inclusive and more exciting and bigger, create a big connection with the fans. I think, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, it's been positive. So for sure, I think that moment kind of helped kind of open the floodgates a little bit um, when it comes to the celebration. So, uh, but whatever works in, in for the best of the game, you know, I'm about, so I'm happy it worked out that way. Yeah, as as are we all. Um, you know, I, I there's another moment from Blue Jays, but just while we're talking about the idea of celebrations in international baseball, again, you played in the WBC, and, you know, it was really interesting to see. I don't know that a lot of other sports have this, where, you know, different teams from different areas of the world just play the game stylistically very differently. You know, Japan, they seem to be all business. Your Dominican Republic team was the exact opposite, and I loved that about them. Do you love that about baseball, that there are these kind of different cultures within the game and they're they're all kind of melding together and you know just uh part and parcel with you and the bat flip and, and everything there it does feel like that's one of the great things about baseball is that there are all these kind of different cultures within the game no i agree and it's a reflection of the different regions and parts of the world that that do play the game which is uh, great when you're trying to highlight it and make the game more global and and just show that it is played in, in a bunch of different parts in the world so um, yeah, for sure. I, I feel like that the game definitely gives us a chance to showcase our cultures a little bit. Fan morning show here. Brent Gunning, Alish Forfar. Very, very happy to be joined by Jose Bautista. He'll go into the Jays' level of excellence this summer. Uh, okay, so we talked about the bat flip. That is your most iconic moment. But there's another one that I don't think you're too fondly of. <laughs> Rukdet Odur smoked you. Now, he caught you, but I don't know how much you realize this. He is potentially still the most hated man in Toronto. You are beloved here. They might hate him here more than they love you here. Uh, do you realize that how much the Blue Jays fans have continued to take up your cause? He still gets booed mercilessly every time he comes to the plate. And I, I imagine you have to kind of love that from the fans. Definitely. I know they got my back and, you know, they're, they're always going to uh, watch my back. So I appreciate that. Uh, with every ounce of my body. So uh, I thank the fans for always sticking up for me, for sure. All right, let's talk about this uh, current iteration of the Blue Jays now. They've got some high expectations, um, and you guys entered 2016 with, you know, plenty of 
excitement and similar expectations. Um, the Blue Jays had some great energy last year. They fell short. They have a young team. Now, I wonder how important it is to add some veteran voices like a Don Mattingly, like some of these experienced players to help shape some of the younger guys that maybe had to deal with adversity for the first time, had to deal with higher stakes than they had played previously in their careers. And, and of course, in a in a market like Toronto that really wants success and is hungry for a, a championship run. No, I think they have a great team to uh, put together, and I think they have great leadership as well, both on the player side and the coach's side. It's just a matter of going out there and executing, putting themselves in a position to succeed more often than not. Just playing the game right, understanding that, you know, they don't have to do anything special to come out and get victory. Even though that division is pretty tough, I think they're going to get a benefit from going back to the traditional calendar and not being uh, division heavy. So they're going to you know, for that reason, play a few more games against opponents that are not so high caliber. Um, you know, I think they just need to go out there and do their thing and let those personalities fly and, and just have fun playing the game. And they should be in a position to contend at the end of the season. Uh, I'm excited about, about watching this team because what it can do on the pitching side, especially if they have a few rebound years from, from guys like Barrios and Kikuchi that, you know, maybe had down years, but we all know that they're more they're capable of doing way more than they've done in the past so if they were able to get as far as they did last year without those guys you know big contributions i'm excited to see what they can do this year hopefully when they have bounce back years yeah and there's such an excitement this week um in, in general just because it's opening week but because as you mentioned the pitching you know we got alec manoa opening the blue jay season he's a guy that's young and has already become basically one of the faces of this franchise with a lot of expectation of, of a young kid that obviously ha- could have a huge future here with the toronto blue jays what do you like about just the way that he carries himself he's got this edge to him he's got a level of confidence that you know is uh, is definitely earned but also he has a lot to prove this season and he seems like he doesn't shy away from the moment for sure i was gonna go to confidence right uh right away uh but he's a guy that i can tell for sure that when he goes in between the lines he gets to a different level of focus and intensity that he probably doesn't live at you know normally in his everyday life and i absolutely love that about him because it shows that you know when he needs to get something done and he needs to compete he can really dig down deep that's probably why he he becomes so much better or, or he is so good in those big moments. So uh, I enjoy watching him pitch, and I, I know that he's going to be probably the anchor of, of the rotation this season. And uh, I'm excited about all those guys, but obviously he's, he's the headliner as the opening day starter, and I think he's going to do a great job. Some of your uh, your former teammates getting into the coaching world. Edwin was hanging around at camp. Russell Martin was coaching Team Canada at the WBC do you feel like that's a path you you could go down? I mean, we we always think, and by we, I mean Dumbo's like me say, well, the guy's a pretty good hitter. He'd make a good hitting coach. Uh, what what's your life after baseball looking like? And do you have any uh, any interest in getting in, in in that regard? You know, that part of the my retirement has been you know coming to play yet. Yeah, those opportunities you know have come uh, uh, a couple of times, but nothing that came to fruition. Um, I'm I'm pretty busy. I'll tell you that much. I'm pretty busy. You know handling my family and you know i have four little girls and that kids is busy around town but the right opportunity comes along it's something for sure that i would love to take advantage of because i have so much passion to the game and i feel like i learned so much and i want to give back so so we'll see we'll see what happens in the future my door is always open especially for the blue jays mm-hmm. do your kiddos play any sports yet yeah my girls are in volleyball and gymnastics so uh, right. spring season is the 
is uh, <laughs> when they when they have the most meets and tournaments. So it's been busy around here. What kind of parent are you when you watch your kids? Like, are you uh, quietly from the sidelines? You're in there, big big cheerleader. Do you want to coach their teams? <laughs> <laughs> What's it like when you watch them perform? No, I know nothing about gymnastics uh, or or volleyball, so I definitely don't want to coach them. But um, you know, I I get. Pretty nervous. I think it's more nerve-wracking to watch your kids play sport than playing yourself uh, at the highest level. So, uh, But I try to be quiet and supportive and just get excited when they do well and celebrate their wins. So uh, that's the type of parent I am. That's uh, that's that's awesome to hear. Uh, you know, you were such a big part of this uh, franchise for such a long time. Obviously, goes without saying, you're going on the level of excellence. Uh, there are a couple young guys on this team who I think people hope are going to make their way there one day. You know, Vlad Jr., Bobachet, these guys were in the org. I don't know how much time you would have had dealing with them, or if you would have met them at spring training. Uh, what did you make of them in the in the dealings you would have had if you had any with them? And what do you think of their futures for the Jays right now? I definitely met them, and I could tell they were going to be great players. It's just a matter of time. So, um, you know, they they just need to go out there and do their thing and have that longevity and make sure that they can, you know, take care of their body long term and so they can get those, those at-bats because if they just play up to their capability, they don't have to do anything special. They probably will accomplish way more than just the level of excellence, um, you know, for guys like that, that just break into the league at such a young age, putting up such big numbers, you know, the conversation for the Hall of Fame is definitely not out of the question. So I'm looking forward to big seasons from them, but also great careers and, and see what happens after that. Obviously, we know you you were a, you were a late bloomer. It, it came here in Toronto, but you, you can understand the idea of what it's like to follow up a career year. And Vladdy kind of had to deal with that last year. He had the... It would have been an MVP season if Shohei Otani didn't exist two years ago. And then last year, he was far from bad, but it wasn't the lofty expectations that have been set for him. You know, you know that. You had your 54-bomb season. You, you followed it up with another 43-bomb year, uh, taking a bunch of walks that year as well. How hard is it when your expectations maybe adjust? And not to say that Vladdy was surprised by his showing, but when you're an MVP candidate, it does make you adjust things. How hard is it to kind of follow up on expectations year over year? It's hard for a number of reasons. Obviously, you don't want to let the fans down. You want to keep your standard up and your contributions, and you want to you you're, you realize that the team and the fans they all are looking to you to come through every time in the big moment, and you don't want to let anybody down. But most importantly, it's hard because you know the the opposition is going to change how they're pitching you, so you have to adjust on the fly. You never know what they're going to go to next until a pattern is set. So, but he's fine. He's done a tremendous job. He had a Terrific season last year, and I expect nothing less from him. He's a guy that you can tell that, you know, even that he's passionate and he doesn't like to uh, to fail. When when he's just playing the game, he he thoroughly enjoys it, and he's a joy to to see on the field. So, um, yeah, that's all he needs to do is just go out there and do his thing, and he's gonna be just fine. A new Rogers Center is going to be opened in about uh, two weeks from today. We have the opening day for the Blue Jays, but they're opening on the road as they finish the, the tweaks at Rogers Center. One of them will be your name, obviously, on August 12th. But before then, we're going to see some outfield dimensions, some new social areas. But I wonder, as an outfielder, what do you think the biggest challenges would be for players coming in and having to, you know, kind of readjust, relearn the outs, outfield and uh, maybe as a, as a hitter, some places that you might be aiming? Listen, I think it's going to be a small adjustment and it's going to be temporary because once they figure it out um, and how the new, you know, nooks and crannies and the ball bounces, they're, 
they're probably going to play that to an advantage. So um, we have a great defensive outfield, by the way, uh, with, with the new additions and uh, the guys that were already there. So um, I'm just excited to see it and how the new dimensions are going to create, you know, new home run locations and the new uh, areas of the outfield uh, pass defense where the fans are going to be enjoying the game. Uh, can't wait to see the visuals and how that's going to, you know, bring the fans closer to the game. So I'm excited about that. It's uh, it's not a shock to anyone that you were a pull hitter. Uh, the the amount of homers uh, right at that foul pole in left field, uh, it, it's astronomical. How would you have loved the shift rules? You know, I understand you're more of a, a fly ball guy, so it wasn't necessarily that you were being shifted as crazy as we see other players. But for somebody like yourself, who you know what you are, you're a pull hitter. You like to pull the ball. What does that What does that do for you, or what would that do for you if you're playing still? Well, I, I can't guess what the outcome would be, but I would assume that probably would lead to a few more base hits. Uh, so that's never a bad thing when when you're a hitter. Um, yeah, having one less guy on that side of the infield would have probably allowed me to get a couple more knots and find a few more holes. Um, so I think, you know, some of these changes, some of these uh, new rules in the game are going to help, obviously, with, you know, creating less dead time and, and speeding up some parts of the game. But more importantly, you know, keeping keeping action up. So, um, you know, I can't wait to to see how the new rules play out. The hot topic over the last couple of days was the Rogers Center adding a poutine hot dog. Now, I got to ask you, would you be interested in trying a hot dog with a sprinkle of poutine on top? You know, just the Canadian roots. Yeah, for sure. Why not? <laughs> you always got to try things at least once. Uh, and I do love, you know, traditional poutine. So I don't see why the hot dog would would uh would be out of the question we'll have to get you one when you come on august 12th for your celebration maybe you get a little uh bobblehead and then you get some poutine and uh put it on a hot dog why not it'll be a a great day to celebrate you um on august 12th when you come here uh enjoy the start of the season we really appreciate you joining us this morning we're excited to celebrate you in august and uh catch up hopefully down the road perfect thank you guys so much for having me the legend, Jose Bautista, joined us yesterday. Great to chat with him. It gets you fired up for opening week. Tomorrow is the day your Toronto Blue Jays start their campaign. Blair and Barker back to two hours today as well. That's your programming update. 10 to 12, Blair and Barker. Backleg City. I love those guys. Yes. I love that show. They're Kevin Barker blast. is the sound of baseball. There are a lot of voices of baseball in this country, but to me, when I hear that twang coming through, I love <laughs> the it. Twang. Uh, yeah, so today, no Toronto Blue Jays, of course, as they tee up or get ready for tomorrow. Uh, but we will have Toronto Maple Leafs in action against the Florida Panthers. Now, you can send in your wake and rake picks as well at 595.90. Leafs, Panthers, that's at Scotiabank Arena, 7.30 p.m., a rare 7.30, or I don't love those. But um, after an off day on Monday, they're back in action on uh, practice yesterday. Nolachari will be absent um, from the lineup due to a day-to-day injury. I'm not sure. I think it's undisclosed. That's okay. Yeah, something's going on. So, so no Nolachari. I'm thinking that they're probably going to go with their 11 and 7 look. Oh, yeah. Your favorite? Just love it. 11 and 7. You're not a fan, eh? No, I'm not. I understand. I'm not, I, am, I will park all complaints about 11 and 7 until Ryan O'Reilly is healthy and with this team. From that moment on, you will hear a lot of complaining. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a good boy, and I will park my complaints about 11 and 7 until they have the uh, 12 forwards they want to play available to Did them. you see who was a placeholder for Achari yesterday? I did not. 
Owen Robinson, a second-year student at University of Toronto, skated alongside Michael Bunting and Sam Lafferty. So I always ask this question. Who does he know? I, that is... Who does he know? It's like a... It's not the e-bug. No, no. I don't know how that came about, but what an opportunity for Buddy Owen. That's awesome. There was no one in the Marlies. Are they on the road, I guess? Like yeah. nobody just that could fill in. That's pretty cool for him. So obviously he won't be playing tonight. I can. Uh, that had, I can confirm. But you had a fill in there. Um, awesome. Awesome experience for him, I'm sure. Uh, Ilya Samsonov will rejoin the team as well. Uh, they welcomed uh, their first child, a boy, last week. And he said he's 100% ready to play when called upon. Do we see him tonight? I hope so. Uh, Samsonov is the guy I feel the most confident about right now. Joe Wall aside. Half kidding. <laughs> only, only half. Uh, <laughs> that's the guy you feel the most confident in. You, you're you not going to make a mountain out of tonight's game one way or another, but you'd really like to see him find his footing. He's been mm-hmm. away from the team for a while and given everything that's going on with Murray, you really need him to look good heading into the playoffs. So I know the way it works when a skater has a baby is they always have a goal. So uh, hopefully he doesn't give up a bunch tonight. I like that. He might have the Fred Van Vliet dad strength. That'd be lovely. In the net tonight. Um, also, Ronald O'Reilly spotted shooting pucks on Tuesday. Very encouraging. We love to hear it. He didn't participate in practice, but Keith said that his ramping up the recovery this week may be returning next week. Now, that is a big sigh of relief. I want to see him back on lineup. I want to see some structure in these lines. I feel like when he gets the opportunity, he'll slot in on that third line and just tiptoe back into it. That would be the thing that makes the most sense, but... This is kind of the problem with his injury is that you haven't had a time to find the best mm-hmm. spot for him. The good thing about Ryan O'Reilly is there's not a bad spot to fit him. This isn't a Cali Yarncroke scenario where his effectiveness really does depend on who he plays with. If you want to bump him up to the top six and go a little more nuclear with JT and Mitch or more JT and Willie, however you want to do that, or if you just want to roll your three strong centers down the middle, there's no real bad way to do it. So that's the plus side there, but it is this that's been the biggest there. The, the most frustrating part about that trade is that you haven't really been able to get anything set with them. We're going to talk to former Leaf Dave Tiger Williams, uh, former NHL forward, two-time 30-goal scorer. Now, I don't know if you saw this the other day, but he's got an iconic Sally, of course. Ride the stick. And Michael Pizzetta. Greaseball. And, and I mean Absolute that. Absolute greaseball, I mean but in like in a respectable the, yeah, way. Yeah. Like a beauty greaseball pulled out his celly in the shootout. Exactly the kind of guy who should do that. It's yes. not quite. A, yeah, no, it's not quite as good as Merrick Malik going full Statue of Liberty. That's cool. A uh, hundred years ago when the shootout first came into the league. It's not quite that. But a greaseball like Pizzetta for a terrible Canadians team. It was somebody somebody iconic. said this, and I don't like to say nice things about the Montreal Canadiens, so mm-hmm. I'm going to include the backhanded part of this compliment as well. For a team that's having a truly dreadful and atrocious season, it's going about as perfectly as possible. There does seem to be pretty good vibes around mm-hmm. the team. You got a greaseball like that that fans <laughs> can kind of wrap their head around. Cole Caulfield, obviously you'd prefer if he's playing, but the fact that he's not, there's no regression happening. So it's kind of been... Kind of in a perfect tank here mm-hmm. for them. Please, please don't let it end with Connor Bedard. It's too bad that there was a lot of, there was a couple of people that were like, dude, you shouldn't be celebrating like that. Like your season is pathetic. So we just talked like, about this with Batista. Have some fun. Yeah. Please. It's a I shootout. It. It's a skills comp. It does not matter. That's right. It They're is the Montreal comp. Canadians. It actually does not matter. Who are they playing in? I don't like know. Columbus or something. It was probably yeah. a brutal game. I actually, I don't think it was Columbus, but... It was a shootout victory, and Michael Pizzetta got this goal, and he just does the Tiger. Well, if you haven't seen it, it's the you ride the hockey stick mm-hmm. down the center of the ice, and it's absolutely that's what I used to do in like shinny for fun. 
But I, I might have to pull that out. I literally taught my kid that two days ago. Nice. Before Pizzetta. So hey, like, that's pretty good. Did you ever do shoot the duck? Oh, yes. Yeah? Yeah. I you mean, can, you, you can know, shoot the duck? It's a little wobbly. Yeah. I, I, I want to be clear. Could right now? Ugh. Hip flexibility, not there. Would would not be able to yeah. right now, I don't think. No, I definitely I definitely couldn't. But I remember when you go to like hockey camps and you do the you know, everyone would line up on the on the red line and you go down, you do, mm-hmm. you know, you'd work on your crossovers, yeah. you'd work on like the one legged C cuts. Mm-hmm. And then it was always the very last thing you did before you got to play a game or whatever was all right, everyone, we're going to try shoot the duck, and you just rip down yep. the ice, and then some people could get from, like, one blue line to the red line, and then there'd be the people that just eat it. And yeah, it's a little wobbly for uh, your boy over here. Yeah, and but then they, you know, they'd sell you, and it's really good to know your edges and, you know, your flexibility. I'm like, it's actually pretty accurate. Like, you can learn something about yourself when they shoot the duck, but there were some people that could do it backwards. Not, I was not one of those not people. Not this guy. I could get down, I could go probably, like, from red line to red line, but I'd fall to end the... Attempt so, no shoot the ducks uh, in any sellies that we've seen so far. But that could be a good one. Maybe. All right, Leafs and Panthers tonight. That's seven thirty p.m. Uh, we'll tee that up in the wake and rake. Send your picks in at five ninety five ninety. You've got that. Uh, Raptors now hitting on the road trip. They won't be back in action until Friday against the Sixers. And then, of course, tomorrow all day long we're setting up Blue Jays opening day against the Cardinals. That will be Alec Manoa. And his debut for this season. So much excitement to come with that. But we're going to talk to Aaron Rose, Raptors reporter on the other side of the break. Let's talk about that. Big win for Raptors over the heat at home. The Kyle Lowry return again. Um, his memories of that time and what this Raptors team needs to do down the stretch to make some noise.